On the stage here is a lifeguard chair. Most of us are familiar with what a lifeguard chair represents. If you've been to the beach or the ocean or a lake and you want to go swimming, normally there's a chair there that has someone that sits in it. A lifeguard chair is useless if no one is in it. This person that sits in here warns you, lets you know that you've gone out too far, lets you know to come back, and becomes a mooring point of rescue and hope. And if you take your kids, family, to a beach, you often use it as a point of reference as you drift down as the current pushes you. Always know where you're at. If you're in trouble, you tell your kids, go back to the lifeguard chair because the person in that seat can help you and rescue you. And so all across our world are in beaches, lifeguard chairs filled with people who have been trained, equipped, tooled to rescue people that either are close to drowning or potentially drowning. We need lifeguards in our world. We need the eternal lifeguard in our world. And so as you think about that analogy today of a lifeguard, we need them when we find ourselves in a place of drowning or need to be rescued. Every once in a while we hear a story, or maybe you've been on the end of it, and some of you had, of a horrible incident where someone has drowned because of the water they were placed in or swimming in. And maybe you've been on the receiving end where you've jumped in and rescued someone was drowning. But when you are drowning, you need someone to rescue you. Have you ever been where you weren't sure you were going to make it out? Watch this. been so far under you wondered if you could get back my wife and I in February vacationed in Mexico and each day we would get up and we would run along the beach and start our day and to enjoy the, the sunrise and to get in some exercise together and I was always impressed and I as I chatted with Ann I said I'm so impressed with the lifeguards that were here and each morning they would get out early and they would set up their 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 lifeguard chair, and it was non-stop rescue. As I watched this lifeguard all day long, all I heard was, <laughs> he would stand up and he would be on his perch, and I, if I heard him do it 10 times, I heard him do it 100 times, pointing at people who were drifting too far. It almost became an annoyance to me just hearing that. And to be quite frank, I heard a whistle and he was bringing me in too. <laughs> but that was his job. His responsibility was to make sure people were safe, to make sure people didn't get too far out where they couldn't be brought back. So all day long, he would sit on his perch and he would watch and he would scan and he would send out warning whistles to people, reminding them, you're in the danger zone. You're in a place you shouldn't be. You need to come back closer to safety. And so all day long, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds nonstop, it was. <laughs> almost to a point where I was thinking, is he ever going to stop blowing his whistle? Why was he there? And Why do we need lifeguard? Because many of us are in places that we are about to go under. 
We are about to drown, and we need warning signs to say, hey, get with it, know what you're doing, get back, because if you go much further by yourself, you will drown and you will die. About 25 years ago, when I did my first mini triathlon, as I was prepping for this triathlon, I'm not the best swimmer in the world, and I'm the first to admit that. When I get in the water, my body just sinks in the water. My wife is an incredible swimmer. She swam in high school, and she could swim laps around me. And I watch her just effortlessly just stay afloat, and I'm just dying to stay on top of the water. And one of the pieces of this mini triathlon is you had to swim a quarter of a mile. And so my plan was I'll practice the night before, and I'll learn how to swim, and I'll do it. Great plan, huh? I knew I could run. And I knew I could bike. In fact, I knew if once I got my feet on the ground that I would catch the people who could swim faster than me. So I kid you not, we went out the night before Winona Lake and I took some swimming lessons from my wife. And so as I'm trying to swim and understanding it better, I can keep myself afloat. The next day was the race day, the the mini triathlon. It was a cool morning at Winona Lake. And here was my plan. I would get near the back of the pack, the swim was the first part of it, and I would let the, the, the water current and the wave stream that they made pull me along, and I would follow right behind them. It wasn't a good plan. So I stayed back purposely, and so when I got in the water, here was, there was a barge that was out in the center of Winona Lake, and once you got out to the center of the barge, you could turn around and head back to the shore. In my mind, if I can just get to the barge, I'll grab a hold of the side of it, and I'll shimmy my way around, and if I'm halfway done, I can finish this swim. So as I'm swimming along, doggy paddling the whole way, as fast as I could, I get out to the barge, and as I get to the barge, I grab a hold of the side of this pontoon boat, and I work my way around, and I'm thinking, I'm halfway home, I'm halfway home. And so as I turned and began swimming back towards the beach, it was me and another guy that was at the tail end. That's not a place I like to be, by the way. And as I'm swimming back alongside, I'm giving everything I got. I look to my left, and this lifeguard came up beside me and said these words I'll never forget. Are you okay, sir? (laughs) She must have noticed my skilled swimming skills. I said, I think so. I said, if I can get to the beach, I'll be okay. And so I kept swimming and swimming. At this time, Anne has no idea where I'm at. She's standing on the shorelines, ready to cheer me on, concerned. And as I swam back to the beach, that lifeguard swam with me the whole way. And to be quite frank, I was glad that he did. And once I got to an area where I could run in the water, I ran. And as I'm getting on the beach, I can see Anne. She's looking through these hundreds of people thinking... Where is Jim? And finally, I came out with seaweed of Winona Lake all over my face, (laughs) panting and out of breath, and wondering if I could run this next part of the race. But all I know was I was glad that that lifeguard saw this distraught man who was barely afloat in Winona Lake willing to come alongside of me to rescue me and to potentially save my life. You and I, as I look out across the crowd today, and those of you here in the South Auditorium and those watching by the internet, we have a God who is the eternal lifeguard. And he sits on his perch and he watches and scans the earth. And he's sending out warning signals that say this Come back, come back, you're too far. You're going to drown unless you come back to the mooring point of hope, which is Jesus. And if you keep going in the direction you are going, I will warn you, I will warn you, and I will warn you. But there must come a time when you turn back and return to the eternal lifeguard. The Bible gives us an incredible story of someone who decided to swim way beyond the mooring point of safety. And there comes a point in his life where he recognizes that he's gone too far. And in order for him to live, 
He must turn home. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to take a look at this. And if you need a Bible today, hold your hand up. Our ushers will give you a Bible. But turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 11 through 16. Luke 15, verses 11 to 16. And when I ask you, would you just stand with me as we read God's word out loud together? Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 16. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You may have a seat. As you can see in this account, there is a son who was given an inheritance and he took it early and he squandered it all. He left the safety, the mooring point of home, and he went off to a distant country and he squandered all the money and all the inheritance that he should have gotten later in life. He gets to a point in his life, he, he, he drifts away, and he gets to a point in his life and realizes This isn't what I thought it would be. I never realized how horrible I would end up if I ran from the mooring point of hope. So he's penniless, he's lonely, and he's homeless. And so in his mind, the best thing to do is to turn back, repent, and go home. And ask his father if he would hire him As a servant that just works on the farm, give me a seat in the loft of the barn. It's better than eating the pods that they feed the pigs. Now keep in mind Jewish history here a little bit. He was a Jew. And Jews don't eat pork. And so now he was surviving off the pods, the food that they were feeding the pigs. That's how low and lost he got. So he finds himself ready to return back home. And as best as we know, he was dead to his family. And the only chance he had of being saved or rescued was to turn back home and beg his father to receive him back. Meanwhile, there's an older son that's back home. He's doing all the things he should. He's doing the chores. He's taking care of dad's cattle. He's responsible. He gets up every morning and does all the responsibilities that a son should do at his home. He's checking off his list. And in his mind, he is a responsible son, worthy of his father's approval because he's doing everything his dad wanted him to do. And so he's trying to earn the favor of his father by doing things. My dad will love me if I do what he wants. My dad will love me if I get up early and do the chores. My dad will love me if I don't squander money. My dad, my dad, my dad. And so his life consisted of check it off, do it, do it, do it, do it. His responsibility was if I continue to do good, then I'm safe. I have not nothing to worry about my life. And so at this point, you got to ask this question. Who is the lost son? Is it the one that's back home doing everything, checking it off, doing everything he's supposed to? Or is it the son that squandered off the wealth, drifted way down current, is far away, and now sees the air in his ways and wants to return home? You see, it doesn't matter to him how far you have drifted down with the current. He is willing to save you and bring you back. Watch what happens in chapter 15. Verse 17, it says this. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. 
and say to him, Father, I have what? What's your Bible say? Sin. Against heaven and against who? You. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went back to his father. You see, the older brother believed that the father's love was earned. And now the younger brother believes that's true too. And he says, if I go back and I earn my way back up, I have a new business plan. I'll start out as a servant. I'll be faithful and I'll work my way up. And eventually I'll be received by my father. And so in his mind, if he just goes home and says, Dad, I'm back to work. Punch me in. He'll be accepted and loved by his father. That was his business plan. Meanwhile, the father, the mooring point of hope, sees all this. So the younger repentant brother throws out his business plan of paying down the debt. He tries to save himself and offers to be hired and earn his way back to his dad. Can you imagine a person who has drifted out in the middle of the ocean, flopping and flailing? And knowing that the only thing they have left is to get back. This is the picture. And so he's begging for his father's approval to rescue him. Because he has no other plan. He's tried to live it up. And now he finds himself at the dead end and realizes, I must return home. I must repent of my ways and go back to the lifeguard who is the eternal rescue God. The father has a choice to make, as do we, as does everyone in this room. Will he receive the spoiled son back? Will he let him in the family or will he reject him? We say words like this, I love you, God, with all of my heart and mind and soul. But do we? Do we love people who have wronged us? (laughs) Do we love people who have done something to us? Do we love people who have taken our money and run, who have robbed our businesses, who have harmed us, who have fallen short on what we wanted from them? You realize this, we really only love God as much as we love the person we love the least. (laughs) Because we are known as followers and disciples of God by the way we love one another. And so this father has a choice to make. Will he love him and receive him back? The Bible says that God's love and those that love him are called to love others. The Bible also says this in Romans 5, that God demonstrated his love for you and me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why there's Easter. Somebody asked, why do we have Easter? Because we are a miserable, horrible, wrecked mess without Jesus Christ because of our sins. And we can't get to God. There's no way that we can earn our way back. The older brother that was back was trying to earn his way by doing good things. Hear me out. We will never do enough good as broken, sinful people to get to a holy God. There must be a remedy. Someone had to come on the scenes. An eternal lifeguard named Jesus came on the scenes at Easter... And because he took our sins to the cross, he died for our sins. And he didn't stay there, by the way. He was resurrected on the third day. And he's alive and well. And because he overcame our sins, and because he carried our sins and died for our sins, and he overcame death, we can live too. The dad's lavish expression of love made the son's action of remorse so much easier. So how does the father respond? To someone who has done everything wrong. Look what it says in verse 20. So the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with what for him? Compassion. And I want to say, are you kidding me? Dad, pull away. Do you realize what your son just did? That hard-earned money that you had that you worked for. Everything that, that you put into day after day in your estate. He went out and he, he spent it on women. He went out and he splurged on pleasure. And you have compassion for him? Read on with me. And it says, he ran to his son, 
threw his arms around him and did what to him? Kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is what? Found. So they began to celebrate. Can you imagine the scene? Like Jesus is telling this story. Here's the son that has done everything wrong. And all he wants is, Dad, I just want to come back. I'll earn my way back, Dad. Look, just, I'm just a hired hand. You don't even have to call me son. Just give me a bunk. It's got to be better than what, I'm, what I have here. And so you can imagine, he's thinking, this is the last plan I got, my business plan. I'm going to earn my way back. So his head's probably down. His shoulders are slumped. And he's walking back home. He, he's walking through his pride. He knows his big bro is going to give him the look. And he's walking home, and he looks off into the distance, and what does he see? He sees his dad. Now, let me speak a little about culture here. During this time, men of stature wore robes. And men of stature, Jewish men, would never run in their robes. You would never see a man run in his robe. And the story says that he saw his son, probably heads bowed down, shoulders slumped, and he says... He probably rolled up. Can you picture this dude rolling up this robe? And he sees his son and he goes into a dead sprint. Now imagine for a second, if you're the son, there's probably two things that you're thinking. And you both just thought them. And so it's probably this hesitancy. I hope, oh, this isn't going to be, maybe. And it says he runs to his son. He wraps his arms around him and it says he kisses him and he looks at his hard servants and people at home and he says, get the robe for my son. Put a signet ring on him. Give him the best of the best. In fact, make it purple. Here's a son that had squandered everything, had destroyed the family name had basically rubbed it in the dirt. And when he returns home after living a foolish, sinful life, his father receives him back, props him up, puts Gucci on him and says, this is my son. Like, why would a father do that? Because he loves him. You see, that's a picture of us, isn't it? We are so far down current. We are so far downstream. We have miserably failed. But there was a portion in our life where the eternal lifeguard, God saw our condition. And when we repent and turn back, he clothes us with dignity. And he said, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Bring out the fatted calf and let's celebrate. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son doesn't like this. And he can't understand why he got so much grace. Why, why would you give him that grace when I've done all these things? I mean, I've been up at 5 a.m. every morning and I went to bed at midnight, Dad. And I've been the good son. I've done all these good deeds. He doesn't deserve that. See, part of the struggle that we have as people in our world is is to understand that grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And if we call ourselves Christians, then we need to do the same. Freely you have received... Freely we should give. I often think about that when I'm at the beach for the person who turns their back on the lifeguard. And the lifeguard keeps warning them. And they blow them off. Have you ever seen them? Maybe you've been that person. I mean, they get, I've heard that lifeguard. I mean, he was hot about this one. And everybody in the water said, you! 
And he just kept swimming and swimming and swimming. That's the picture here. And it's this person who goes out, who begins to drown because of their ignorance to the warning calls, and the lifeguard still rescues them. Why? Because of grace. I remember my own dad's condition when I was small. My mom and my father divorced when I was around five years old, and it was hard. It very challenging time. I mean, it was 52 years ago. And I can remember I was a little boy trying to process all that was going on. I didn't fully understand. I knew my dad loved me, and he did. He was a good dad, and my mom loved me. But I didn't fully comprehend and understand. If you love each other and you love us, then why will you separate? Why would you get divorced? Like, I, don't, I still don't understand that. And I remember the day as a five-year-old with my sisters, we were on the couch. And I can tell you, I can go back to the room because it was a moment in my life that it, it marked my life. And I'm standing at the front window and I'm watching my dad go down the steps and leave. And I'm thinking, something's wrong with this picture. Dad shouldn't leave. Mom shouldn't leave. The family should stay intact. And I remember my dad walking. I can picture him right now. I can shut my eyes and I can see my dad 52 years ago walking down West Side Avenue and leaving the home. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And I remember weeks ahead and months ahead, I would hear my mom crying in the room. And, and we, she was a single mom and, and my three sisters and I. And I couldn't figure it all out. But, but, and then I would just see my dad on weekends. And it just didn't all make sense to me. And gradually, as I began to grow up and, and understand more, I, I got the full picture. Fast forward, my mom remarried. We were all unsaved. We didn't go to church. Someone invited us to church, much like this, and we heard the gospel for the first time. And you know what happened? We all got saved, including my stepfather, but my dad remained unsaved. Loved my father. He loved me. And so we would see him on weekends, every other weekend. And, and so we wanted what... Our, what our dad to have what we have. And so as siblings, we began to pray for my father. And we'd pray, God, please save him. God, let him have what we have. And we would talk to him about the Lord. And, and so we were uh, spread out in age. There's seven years difference between the youngest and the oldest. And, and so he began to see us grow up. And, and I'll never forget when I was 17 or 18 years old, my dad contacted us and said he wanted to talk with us. So we went to see my father. And, and he told us that, the weekend prior to that, that he had heard the gospel and it all made sense and he wanted us to know that, that he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I'll never forget that moment in time. And I remember I just began to weep. Like, finally, my dad. Like, it's the best gift my dad ever gave me. And he's given me a lot of things, but the best gift my dad ever gave me was for him to trust in Jesus Christ. And so we asked my father, we said, Dad, what was it? Why did you trust in Jesus? Like, why did you finally listen to that warning call, that whistle? Why did you finally come back? And he said these words, I will never forget. I can go to the room and I can stand in front of my dad who's now with the Lord. He's been with him for two years. And I'm grateful that he knew Christ because I'll see him again. And he said these words, I'll never forget. He said, kids, the reason I trusted in Jesus is because I saw what you had as my kids, and I wanted it. Never, ever underestimate your testimony. And so as I look at this story, like there would have never been a moment in my life, no matter, even though my dad did, did things that, that, that we all do, we, we make poor decisions, there was never a part of me that said, he doesn't deserve grapes. But this older brother couldn't wrap his mind around it. Because you know why? He thought the way to the eternal God was earning. And there was nothing his younger brother had ever done that would allow him to be saved from his lost condition. You see, God's love and forgiveness can restore any kind of sin or wrongdoing. So watch what happens next in this account. But the father said in verse 22, he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. And he says, because my son is alive and was lost and now found. And so in verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants. Can you picture him? Like, what up? What's all the dancing about? How come I wasn't invited? And so he hears this music at home, and he's curious. So he says, hey, hey, servant, come over here. What is going on? And look what is said. So he called one of the servants and asked him what he's doing. In verse 27, he says, your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. At this moment, we should see the older brother saying, yes, finally he came to his senses and he's home. But look what happens to the older brother. Verse 28 says, the older brother became what? What's it say? Angry. And he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. So picture, brother's ticked. He's upset. He's thinking, no way. He shouldn't be back here. And you put a robe on him? And you gave him the, the family ring? Are you kidding me? Look, he's in, look at the clothes he's wearing. I should be wearing that. And you got fattened calf? I fed that calf this week. And he's ticked. He's angry. See, he couldn't understand how he could receive such an amazing gift of grace and how and why he should be rescued when his list of dues didn't match up to his own. You see, he had no concept of grace. None at all. So watch what happens. And he says this, he became angry, refused to go in. But his father, he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, isn't it interesting, he doesn't even call him his brother. When the son of yours, who has squandered your property, with prostitutes, in case you didn't know, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's upset, he's ticked, and up to this point, he doesn't know what to do with anything other than you earn your way to God. And look what happens next in verse 31. The father said, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he reminds him that he's his brother, was what? What's the word? Dead and is what? Alive again. He was lost and he is what? Found. Nowhere in this account, by the way, there's three parables that that Jesus speaks. One is the sheep that is lost and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. Another, there's a coin that's lost, and they turn the house upside down. They turn the furniture upside down. They turn the rugs upside down. They sweep the, the, the window sills. They look everywhere in this house for this coin that was lost, but nowhere in this parable is there ever a search party to go out for the sun. I find that interesting. Because as an older brother, if your younger brother was lost, wouldn't you call a rescue party and say, hey, my bro is lost and we need to go find him. But never once did the older brother search for the younger brother. Why? Because in his mind, he didn't deserve to be found. And he even disowns him as a brother when he says to his own father, this son of yours is home. He's mad and angry, and he points out all of his sins. He was like the Pharisees. He personally had checked off the list. He did everything for his dad out of duty. He kept the law and expected to be rewarded for that. He even highlights the fact that his younger brother has been with prostitutes. And while he did everything his dad wanted, he felt superior to his younger brother. You know, it's impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to them. You see, we are all level at the cross. One sin disqualifies us to be in relationship with the eternal 
life-saving lifeguard Jesus Christ. We all are disqualified to get to God because of sin. One or a million. And this older brother forgot that. You see, the truth is this. He is now more lost than he realizes. And so are many of you. The younger son is found and is invited to a feast. And they begin to celebrate. The older son who is ticked, decides not to go in. So picture that. There's a celebration that takes place. The the Bible says when someone repents, returns and comes home, comes back to God and trusts in in Jesus, there's a party that takes place in heaven. So here you have it. Now you have a son that was lost is found, and the son that thought was found is lost. (laughs) Standing outside of the party for those that know Christ. You see, that's the essence of Easter. We can't earn our way to God. If we could earn our way to God, then why did Jesus go to the cross? And the other truth is this, that you can never be so far from God that he won't take you back. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to save ourselves. Here's what I know. I'm a dude. And so I battle against this like dudes do. Dudes like to be self-made men. We like to earn our way. And we like to build our way. And if we can't supply or, or provide for our families or provide, we pull away. And instead of recognizing that we are in need, we, we hide from it. But once we find our way to the top and we work up, we like that. And in our minds, we're successful if we can do and we can accomplish. And the moment we can't, this whole self-made man in us struggles. Because we think that we don't have worth, and our worth is based on what we're able to do. And yet the Word of God says our worth isn't based on what we can do. Our worth is based on who can do it for us, Jesus. That's our identity. The older brother is adding up all the works he has done and what he thinks is due to him. Yet the only thing we offer God in return for our salvation is our sin. This really is a story of two lost sons. The one who is lost is found and the one who thinks he is found remains lost. And so the father invites him in. I mean, if you look at it, 31, he says, my son, the father said, You've always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. No matter how far you have drifted from God right now, no matter how horribly you have sinned this week, no matter how long your list of failures and sins is, Jesus will rescue you. Jesus can save you. It's God's grace that draws us in and saves us. The problem is that the older brother never saw himself as part of the community of sinners. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like the older brother. (laughs) And you've been a good person. You've helped people and you serve the underprivileged. And you've been a good father, tons of good fathers. You've been a good mother and you've been a good child. And you've done all the good things and... And maybe in your mind, you're like the older brother, like, but I'm a, I'm a good person. Like, how could God not accept me? How could I never, ever enter heaven? And the question is, your mind is, don't good people get to God? The answer to that is no. We can never get to God on our own merit. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, he saw his righteous act as a way to earn his way into the family. And I just wonder if the older son ever saw the light. Because how does this parable end? It ends abruptly without giving any indication that the older son ever did. He spent his whole life trying to do the right thing and earning his way to the, with the father's approval. Yet in the end, that is not what would gain the approval of God, the eternal lifeguard. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ. So where does that leave us today? Some of you are drowning. 
and you've heard the warning signals. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you're like the older son. I got this one, Pastor Jim. In fact, you're like the people who sit on the beach. You're not even in the water. Your family's healthy. Your wife, well, she looks good in a bathing suit. You're on the Cato diet. Look at me. You drink water and coconut water and you take vitamins and minerals and you put on sunscreen. I'm good. I'll never die. And yet you forget one valuable thing. You could do all the good things in the world and you will die on the beach with sunburn and go to hell if you don't know Jesus Christ. And all over this room are men, women, who think somehow we have to earn our way to God. And you're like, I'm playing it safe. I even put my umbrella right beside the lifeguard chair. How are you doing? This is my family. I'm so glad you're here today. And you feel safe beside the lifeguard. You won't even let your kids put their feet in the water. We're safe. We're saved. And you are just as lost as the person who hears the warning and keeps swimming away. Why? Because we can never get to God other than through Jesus Christ. He's the eternal lifeguard. Some of you are slowly drifting farther away. You come to church and you've been hit and miss. And you got to ask this question. Is there fruit hanging from your tree? Like, there has to be evidence of life change. You have to have a desire to follow God. If you don't have a hunger and desire to follow God and to serve Him and to love Him, then you have to ask the question, am I a child of God? And some of you are willing to sit on the beach of life having the time of your life thinking, I'm good. Pastor Jim, I, I, next year, this is so good. We're in a good spot as a family. Don't mess things up, God. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You see, if we don't turn back and repent of our sin like the younger brother, then we will spend our eternity in hell. And hell is a real place. See, many will say on this day, here's what we'll say, we'll say, but God, I know you. And God... I went to the Easter service at Grace Community Church. And I saw a weird guy in a red sweatshirt and he had sweatpants on. Can you believe he dressed that way, God? And he gave this message and, you know, he talked about it. And I remember, and, and, but God, I've been good. I, like, I've, I've been faithful and I'm a woman of integrity. And, and I read the Bible. In fact, I signed up for the Blitz and I'm walking the Memorial Day parade for Grace Community Church. And you hold your list out. Like, here it is. Look what I've done, 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 done. Yet there's never been a moment in your life where you trusted fully in the work of Jesus Christ and the gift of grace called salvation. Then he will say to you on that day when you stand before him, I never knew you. I'm telling you, some of you are in for the shock of your lives. Some of you in the South Auditorium are for the shock of your lives when you stand before God. And you will run your list by him and he will say, you can't earn your way to me. It's only by accepting the work on the cross of Jesus Christ and by faith, believing that and repenting of your sin. And it is a free gift. And I've been blowing the whistle your whole life, yet you kept swimming away. You see, the only way home. The only way you can be rescued is if someone is manning the chair. (laughs) And the only God that can rescue us is Jesus. 
And the only way we can find rescue if we turn to the cross. That's it. That's it. That's the only way. And the only person to ever man the cross was Jesus Christ. And the only way to the Father God and the only way to ever be saved by the eternal lifeguard is to go to the cross and take the gift that Christ shed for us there. That's it. That's the eternal lifeguard. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you really know? Maybe you showed up today and and we're glad that you're here. And come back again. We'd love to have you. And maybe you've been with us for a while and you're banking on some good works. You're like the older brother. And you're, when I stand before God, I'm going to show him what I've done. Listen, works will never get you into heaven. <laughs> and if you don't have a time stamp in your life where you surrendered Repent it and say, God, it was on this day that I trusted you. Listen to me. He will say to you on that day when you stand before him, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, God, would you pray with me? I pray, Lord, in this moment right now, please don't look at your phones. Don't be distracted. Don't worry about lunch. Just this is life and death. The reason we have Easter is because we are broken and we are a mess because of our sin. And we needed a redeemer to redeem us of our mess. And the eternal lifeguard is Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you a question that only you can answer. I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. And your mother and your father can't do it for you. And if they believe in God, it doesn't matter that you believe, don't believe in God. They can't save you either. I want to ask you a question. If you were to die today and stand before God and he were to ask you why you should let him into heaven, what would your answer be? If it's anything other than trusting in the work of Jesus Christ and accepting his free gift, then listen to me. He will say to you, Depart from me, I never knew you, and you will be thrown into the pit of hell forever. If you're not certain and you don't have a time stamp, and you're hearing me right now and your heart's starting to pound, and I want to ask you a question. Do you know that you know? Is there a time stamp in your life that you can go back to and say, it was on that day, Pastor Jim, it was on that day that I fully surrendered. And I have this date in mind because that's when I believed that you died on the cross. I believed that you were resurrected from the grave and I repented of my sin and I realized it's by grace through faith that I'm saved and not works. And I freely accepted this free eternal gift. I ran to the cross and the lifeguard of eternity saved me. If that's you and you'd like to make sure and you want to trust in him today, I'm going to ask you to do something. I think it's important. With our heads bowed, and if you want to trust in Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, that way you know that this, I know that I know, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. The prayer doesn't save you, Jesus does. But prayer is a confession of something that's happening in our heart. Say this, just, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I've been swimming away from you for a while. Or maybe I didn't even know I was lost. But today, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin. I turn and come back to you. And I trust in this eternal gift through Jesus Christ on the cross. And I ask you, save me, save me, save me, save me, save me. And this is what Jesus promises. If you're trusting in him, then you got saved today. 
4, 21, 19. This is the day of salvation. Jesus saved you. I'm going to ask you to do something for me here in, in the North Auditorium and Pastor John's in the South Auditorium. I think it's important like, to acknowledge that. If today was the day and you said, Pastor Jim, it made sense. Like, I trusted in Jesus. And I believe that he's my Lord and Savior in my life. And I am saved today. I want you to do something while our heads are bowed. Just hold your hand up. Just pick it, pick it up in the air. We already had people in the first service, tons of them. Don't be afraid. Come on, hold it up. This is best. Just hold it up. Don't be ashamed. Hold it up. There they are. Oh, come on, come on. Don't hold back. Just hold them up. So, Lord, I'm going to pray. I pray for these precious men and women that just trusted in the work of your son, Jesus. And they are saved, God. The enemy can never take that from them. I pray that they would experience unusual power and strength. I pray that your peace would walk with them. I pray against anything the enemy wants to do to divide, steal, and conquer. And Lord, I pray that they would walk in the joy and know that there is a celebration in heaven right now because they are saved. Thank you, God. That the work of the cross 2,000 years ago still impacts today, right here. So go with them, God, please. With your heads bowed, I'm going to ask you to stand, please. In both auditoriums, everybody, just stand, just stand. Lord, I pray that you move in this moment, and I pray that, that pride would not step in the way. But I pray, God, that you would get glory because of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Over here on this wall, Pastor Jordan just handed me are some, some sunglasses, and they're really nice. In fact, they're, they're good sunglasses. But even more important than that, they're a reminder of a decision that you made. Like, for those of you who trusted in Christ, on the side... It says, say, 421.19. And the significance of that is today is the day that you trusted in the work on the cross and you were saved eternally. So here's what we like to happen. We want to hand them to you. So when you put these on, and, and by the way, you can look as cool as I can with them on. But more importantly, when you put them on, and maybe you put them on the dash of your car. Or maybe, maybe you put them around your collar of your, of your shirt. And, and maybe you wear them to the beach. Or maybe you run with them. And every time you pick them up, when the enemy comes back and says, Hey, you're, you're, or, or you follow God, you say, Oh, yeah, I remember. 4, 21, 19. Jesus saved me. I think it's important to have memorials. And, and so we'd love for you to come from the South Auditorium, Pastor John is in there and he's going to walk you out and you're going to come in the North Auditorium, you're going to come down along the side and we're going to ask you, symbolically, come, walk across the pier and come and I'd love to greet you and then I want you to go left or right and grab some sunglasses as we sing this song and listen to me. Now this is the moment where I saw your hands. This is the moment you say, I don't care what people think. This is a safe place. We're going to celebrate and I've come to the party. So would you come, walk down the center aisle, right down the center aisle, come up the pier and receive a set of sunglasses and rejoice because you are safe.